Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks it. Right hand shot. Excellent. Knocks out by Tyson. Slugs to the canvas. The champion struggles to stay on his feet. How do you like it? Welcome, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast with your host Sean Basto, joined by Johnston Brown for this new episode of Legendary Nights, as voted for by you, the listeners and followers on Twitter on the poll, and you voted for Nigel Benn versus Gerald McClellan from 1995. But before we get into the episode, please go and find us on social media on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod. Give us a follow on there check out all our latest episodes if you don't really use twitter if you're a facebook user instead we are on there too btr boxing podcast give us a search like the page see all the content coming out every single week so really excited for this one it is going to be a very interesting conversation because this was one of the greatest fights i'd ever witnessed growing up as a child But it was also such a sad ending for Gerald McClellan. And we're going to be touching on some very sensitive points throughout the podcast. And I'm really, really excited to to give it justice to talk about the way this fight went down. To talk about the seriousness of the aftermath of the fight. So, let's get into it then. This is the tale of Nigel Benn versus Gerald McClellan. What a fight we've got on our hands here, Johnston. This is a legendary night in 
one way and a sad night in another way. But I do believe it's a fight that should be covered off just for the sheer veracity, the sheer pugilism of this particular fight was was unbelievable, but also marred by the, the, the sad aftermath of obviously what happened to Gerald McClellan. But yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to actually breaking down the build-up and the fight. Uh, and obviously touching on the aftermath and touching about the dangers of boxing and the sport and, and, and how it can affect people's lives. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, I mean, it was literally from ecstasy to agony for Ben. Um, it basically was a bit of a roller coaster in there. Um, the fight itself, you know, it is a fantastic fight. It, it rightly deserves to be to be called a legendary night for me. Obviously, with with the tra- tragic events that happened after, you know, that's you know that that's something that we obviously we're going to touch on, but. A great fight. It really was an excellent fight between two fighters that, you know, they, they were probably two of the best pound pound fighters around the night night fight. I agree, yeah, 100%. And I think that's where we'll go into the, the, the usual breakdown of what we do for legendary night so as always we will cover off both of the careers and the lead up to for this particular fight we'll talk about the build-up to the fight we'll talk about the fight breakdown and then obviously this is probably going to be one of the most difficult ones we've done in terms of aftermaths because of how sad and how sensitive of a subject it is but i do believe it's one that we will give justice to and i think it's it's good to sort of highlight situations like this because even in this day and age these things you know as we've seen recently do still happen so i think it's you know good to make sure that that is still brought to the forefront of people's minds and whilst we might sit there and call it a legendary night and people may disagree in terms of because of the aftermath you know you shouldn't really be labeling it as a legendary night i do i do disagree with people on that because i do think the fight itself purely on the fight itself is a legendary night it was voted one of the best fights of the year it was voted one of the best fights of the 90s so for me you've got to look at it from that perspective and we'll start off by going into the careers of both fighters and I think we should start with McClellan first because McClellan's career up until this point had been a real great build-up to, to, to this super middleweight title fight with Nigel Benn. Now we look back on, it, on his career and I think when he came to the forefront of, of people's minds in the early 90s was really when he'd done his apprenticeship in boxing. So he'd had his sort of first 15, 16 fights. Uh, and then when he got his first major fight for a world title was for the vacant WBO middleweight title. And that's what people may not remember is that actually Gerald McClellan was a middleweight. He wasn't naturally a super middleweight. He did eventually move up to obviously fight Nigel Benn for the WBC title. But... Originally, he was a middleweight, and that's where he applied his trader. And his first major fight was in 1991 in November against John the Beast Mugabe, a guy that's appeared on the podcast before when we talked about the Marvin Hagler-Sugar Ray Leonard fight. So Mugabe, in his own right, still at this point in 1991, was still a beast. And this fight was, to my surprise, looking back on the history of it, it actually took place at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wasn't aware of that at the time, to be honest. It wasn't until I sort of watched back on Gerald McKellen's career that I realised, um, you know, seeing John uh, John McGarvey on there, I thought, well, I've got to watch that one. Uh, John McGarvey was a tough tough nut to crack, uh, very strong. I mean, he he went all 15. Was it all 15? I think it was all 15, wasn't it, with Hagler? Um, in a great fight, a really, really good fight. Um, and he got rid of him in a round. Um, it was on the uh, Frank Bruno and uh, John Emmon undercard. I don't know the guy who fought to be honest, Bruno's opponent there. Um, I'm guessing it was a bit of a lap for him because he got rid of him quite early. But yeah, it was on the undercard Royal Albert Hall and uh, 
he absolutely destroyed John Mugabe. Um, he knocked him down twice before eventually finishing him off and the referee waved it off uh, when he finally knocked him down for the third time. But, wow, he, he looked impressive in that fight. And, and it, I think from that point, you know, those that were involved in, in and around boxing in 1991 realised that actually, you know, Gerald McKellen's he's a fighter here and he's one to look out for he certainly is because this is where he starts to go on this tremendous run of early knockouts uh, he then goes into 1992 after the John Mugabe win and he has three fights in 1992 uh, Lester Yarbrough Carl Sullivan and Steve Harvey and knocks every single one of them guys out and, and carries on his career in the middleweight division and then moves on to Tyrone Moore in 1993 and I think then that's where we get another significant fight in his career. The first of two meetings with Julian Jackson, who people will remember uh, as being one of the biggest punchers ever in boxing in all weight categories and a guy that nearly nearly got beat off Harold Graham until he landed an absolutely fantastic peach of a punch which stopped Harold Graham and knocked him out cold. Julian the Hawk Jackson fantastic fighter in his own right. 46-1 and when McClellan got in the with him and it was an expected bout for going the distance I think I think people felt this was going to be more of a distance fight at the time and actually they were wrong because this fight was always going to be an early night for one of these men because these men had power in both hands they'd had great records knockout ratio records you know I think I think Gerald McClellan's record to that point, he's, he's just four or five, I think it was four or five or maybe even six stoppages in a row. That was an amazing run into this fight. And even, you know, looking at Julian Jackson's career, he out of the six fights prior to the fight with Gerald McClellan, he'd knocked five of them out. It was only one in 1992 against Thomas Tate where it was uh, it was a unanimous decision victory, but the rest of them, again, were stoppages. So, although there were people at the time that felt, you know, this is probably going to be a points fight, they're going to cancel each other out, I think most people, if I'm being totally honest, looking back, would, would, would they knew they were going to be a knockout in this because of how big a punches they both were. Yeah, I, definitely. Um, I mean, you mentioned uh, Jackson, uh, Julian Jackson, 46 and 1. His only loss came to Mike McCallum as well, and that was a second round TKO. So, you know, he came up against Mike McCallum, who was also a big puncher as well. So, obviously, you know, two big punches met, and one of them got blazed out. And that was basically, as you say, I mean, people were tipping it for a, for a long haul, but in actual fact, it was probably inevitable this was going to end fairly soon. Um, it, it was a great fight. You know, it, it is actually one uh, I think ESPN put out every now and then on their um, on their nights because it was it was a it was a fight on on one of their um, their broadcasts. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was a it was it was an over, it was a great opening round in particular. The opening round was brilliant, and then uh, I think McLennan got put down with a low blow from Jackson, um, and it sort of pissed him off because he come back and and literally just blazed Jackson down. Um, and then, you know, before we knew it, you know, it was, it was a quite even-ish fight. Um, I thought uh, McKellen was always, he just waited, it was inevitable. I mean, you could imagine being a viewer watching in 93. I mean, I didn't see the fight, but sort of watching back, you just expect him eventually to land something or Jackson. And then obviously it was, um, it was, it was, it was Jackson that ended up on the deck and the referee waved it off, but and a good fight. And I'd advise anyone that hasn't seen 
this fight to go and have a watch because it is a good scrap for five rounds. Well, there's something also that I wanted to touch on with McClellan's career before we move on a little bit more in the build-up to the fight with Ben. The bill that he was on in 1993 when he fought Tyrone Moore, if you go back and look at that bill, that bill was amazing. That bill consisted of terrible Terry Norris against Maurice Blocker, Julio Cesar Chavez, who was 84-0 at the time, against Greg Hogan, and then we had Azuma Nelson, and we had Michael Nunn, we had obviously Gerald McClellan, Felix Trinidad, and Jose Badillo, all names in their own right, all went on to do something in the sport, and that was an amazing bill, it was a great find, you know, looking back, obviously I was only young myself at the time, I was only about, I think I was about 8 or 9 at the time, so I wasn't really that well-versed, obviously, in boxing at this point in my life but looking back on that bill god wouldn't you kill to have a bill like that today oh, who, who uh, promoted that fight Sean? i don't even know our good old friend mr slippery himself donking <laughs> to be didn't it of course it was great card though you can't knock him for that wow and it was in it was in the azteca uh, mexico city as well it was it uh, was mexico yeah, great, great bill, great, fantastic bill. And we look at some of the crap that we get fed in this day and age. That that is a bill. That, that's what you call a bill. That wasn't even that wasn't even prospect versus journeyman as well. That was a fantastic bill. So going back onto point, then let's go back to the McClellan career after the Julian Jackson win. He then went on to beat Jay Bell, stopped him to to retain the WBC title that he'd won fighting Julian Jackson. And then we have the fight with Gilbert Baptiste at the MGM beats Baptiste and. And then the final fight before the Nigel Ben fight, before he moved up to super middleweight for the first time in his career, was a rematch with Julian Jackson. So the second time, what did you make of the second Julian Jackson fight? Um, well, it was it, again. I mean, it ended a lot sooner, didn't it? Um, I think um, I think Jim McLennan thought, you know, I'm going to get rid of him early, um, and that's exactly what he did. Um, it was literally, it was very ruthless for him. He jumped on Jackson literally from that first second. Um, and he and he literally destroyed him. Um, and and Jackson obviously he came after the fight post fight interview. He did say that he felt that he could have carried on if he had have carried on. Or if we decided to let that go, I think it would have ended in the second anyway. To be fair, uh, but it was a brutal, brutal finish. Um, I think I think one thing sort of looking back on, on um, sort of the last few fights before Ben was, was the fact that that uh, Gilbert Baptiste was a last minute replacement. So you know he was expected to just blaze this guy out. I think he was, he was 28 and 16. So Gil, Gilbert Baptiste wasn't going to be anyone in particular. I think he took the fight literally on a week's notice or something. Um, but one thing you do notice if you watch that fight back is there's obviously no Emmanuel Stewart in the corner. Um, and there is actually uh, you know the commentators mention it. Um, and there was talk of a rift, um, a strategic rift in terms of McLennan not agreeing with what um, Emmanuel Stewart's giving him and the information he's giving him. But um, Emmanuel Stewart's actually interviewed after and he sort of says, you know, although I wasn't there, it was against Baptiste's late replacement. You know, I let the guys who had already been working with him um, continue their work, so that's why I wasn't around much. I think he, he had just signed um, Hearns back with Hearns again, so he was busy doing that, so he was quite happy to let that go. But it was actually the post-fight interview, which was quite telling, because McLennan was in the ring, and he and he didn't squash that rumour. He, he basically, um, he, he, he was just saying that, you know, he would talk to Stuart after, sort of thing. It, it, weren't, it weren't great, and you could see there was obviously a rift there. And then obviously the Julian Jackson fight, when he eventually came out the second one, when he was in that ruthless streak uh, on the Chavez-Randall, uh, to Bill, by the way, um, and he destroyed Jackson. And obviously, then we knew Stood wasn't in the corner, and they had departed. He had left because um, 
because McLean decided he wanted to man-manage himself. So, you know, it wasn't ideal going into the Ben fight. Um, maybe he's listening to two people and he, too many dodgy people around him in his ear um, because, you know, who in their right, man, right mind would want to get rid of Emmanuel Stewart? Well, this is it, isn't it? You know, this is like the, the whole hindsight is a wonderful thing situation because obviously the late, great Emmanuel Stewart even then was regarded as one of the great trainers of the sport. So why would you want to get rid of him? And, you know, Emmanuel Stewart, uh, before his passing and, and when talking about Gerald McClellan, did say, like, Gerald McClellan was one of these guys that, you know, he would tell you what to do or he was the guy that would try and tell you what to do. And if he didn't like something, you know, he wouldn't do it. And we sort of echo back to when we did the Legendary Nights with Tyson and Douglas, where Tyson got into that sort of mentality of the same thing, where he was kind of saying, no, I'm not doing this. I ain't going out for a run. I'm going to do what I want. And you start to think that maybe that was what the mentality of, of the G-man was at the time. You know, McClellan was the the big shot superstar. He was knocking everybody out for fun. Obviously, as we go on to, to, to the fight, you know, he was the favourite. He was the guy, even though he was moving up to fight a super middleweight for the first time against Nigel Ben, he was the guy that was going to come over to the UK and absolutely obliterate Ben and, and carry on his career at super middleweight. And, you know, hope, you know and, and their hope in their mind was for him to be a megastar, to be an absolute megastar. And he was well on his way to doing that before he bumped into Nigel Ben. So let's move on to Nigel Ben then. Let's talk about Nigel Ben's career because this is the second appearance on the Legendary Night series for Nigel Ben. We've covered off the first Eubank fight but now we're going to move on and we're going to talk about his career post the original Eubank fight and sort of leading up to the second one and, and, and after that what, what sort of got him into the position to fight against Gerald McClellan and, and how that fight sort of came about. So, you know, we, we, we had um, obviously winning going on to, to, to be the WBC champion by beating Moral Gavano uh, in 1992 he went over to Gavano's backyard and beat him and that was a fantastic win he became the WBC champion and you've got to remember as well this was his second world title but it was at a different weight yeah yeah he, he had moved up to super middleweight um, following that, that uh, Eubank defeat um, he decided obviously I think he even went a different, I think he even went off to America if I remember rightly um, and, and he just tried to tune himself in and, and, and get himself ready um, he obviously had a couple of defeats on his record by that time but a, a great performance again um, it was a uh, you know he did rely on the one-punch knockout power, um, but, you know, it became a bit more efficient and effective and a bit more of an adaptable fighter, in fact, in terms of when you watch the uh, uh, Gavano fight, um, just wasn't so rushed. I think with Watson, when he we had his first defeat, you know, he was rushing and he was he ended up blowing himself out. He blew a gasket and Watson got rid of him. Um, and then the Eubank fight, which I mean, we've, we've touched him, was a great fight. But I think um, Ben decided he needed to just adjust and um, and he did that. And I think he, he improved as a fight. I mean, he wasn't the greatest technically. Um, I've always felt that with Ben, but you can't, no, he's, he had he had the fundamentals there, but his his just heart and desire was just incredible, and, and not many fighters around then or even today or even past could really match 
that really, you know, that 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 just heart desire from from Ben. It was just made him such a fan favourite. But a great, great performance um, over in Italy. Yeah, you're right. And then obviously he goes on to beat Nicky Piper, who went on to become a Sky Pundit. And obviously Nicky Piper, as we know, if you look at the career of Nicky Piper, people used to look at him and go, "Bloody hell, he's just a choir boy, this guy." And I remember people used to say <laughs> that about him when they watch him on Sky. You wouldn't have expected this guy to to have been in the ring and, and obviously fought for world titles before. But you know, actually he did. He got went on he you know he, he fought for uh, fought and won the commonwealth light heavyweight title you know he went in for the wbo light heavyweight title and you know he had his fair share of fights himself so he Nigel ben beats nicky piper then moves on for a, a rematch against a galvano beats galvano on points and then goes in there against lou gent in 1993 and that's on the, the card which also featured steve collins and robbie reagan some great names on that particular card and that was promoted by Mr. Barry Hearn, father of Eddie, matchroom boxing. That was a matchroom boxing promoted card in 93. And then we get another legendary night, one that's not come up yet, which is the rematch with Chris Eubank at Old Trafford. One of the best fights uh, in terms of the whole build-up and the atmosphere. You know, not so much as good as the first fight, as we've alluded to previously on that first Ben Eubank episode. We did say the first fight was better than the second one, and we both agreed on that but he did fight him again he fought him at Old Trafford the WBC and Eubanks WBO title was on the line and ended up being a split decision draw which was obviously very disappointing for the droves of fans that came out to watch this fight and you know I do have vague memories of of the build up for this you know the whole what Manchester was like at the time Manchester was absolutely buzzing for this particular fight and strangely enough it wasn't really a big card either there was only four of the fights on this card yeah, it was all about the main event, wasn't it? The you know the contest was named Judgment Day. I remember Sean as well. I remember the build up to this one um, and, and and just all the hype around it. I mean, uh, a record five hundred million people um, actually witnessed his fight, whether it be on TV, uh, obviously not in the crowd, but um, I think there's fifty thousand in the crowd. So um, it was it wasn't as great as you know it wasn't as brutal. I should say um, I felt that Ben won this fight. I thought he got a little bit robbed. Um, probably rubs the wrong word I'd say it was a very close close contest it probably you could have gone either way I felt for me I thought Ben won it um, It was again I mean yeah I'm with you we already mentioned it the first one we felt was better although you know I think the size of the second one was bigger um, and you know the, the interesting thing was as well was that Don King had negotiated contracts hadn't he to uh, he, he, he had negotiated contracts with a winner sign with him and then ironically it became a draw and Barry Earn um claimed that, you know, because it was a draw, it wasn't really in the contract. So in actual fact, Eubank become a free agent and ended up signing with, uh, well, Eubank ended up signing with King and I think Ben uh, didn't. I think Ben uh, went another route. So it was it was quite a bit of sweep for, for, for Barry. He, he knew he was going to lose both or one of them and then uh, in the end, neither of them off or one of them just signed with King. So uh, I think that was a nice trump card for, for Barry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was probably a bit of it is the start as well of that bit of rivalry between the Hearns and the Warrens. And, you know, Warren wasn't best pleased with, with the way he treated King. Because, you know, I don't know, like Warren and King, they had, they had quite a decent relationship from what I've seen from a distance and what I've watched through the years. Um, and, and obviously, Hearn weren't too keen. I don't think many people were. You know, at the end of the day, look, Don King, I always... We always slay him. I do anyway, Sean. I, I'm not a big fan of Don King's, but um, he does. He did put on some big events in the 90s. So he can't knock him for that. 
No, he, he did put some big events on in the nineties, and and from that aspect of of him as a promoter, you know, he could he he, he was you know he could talk a glass eye to sleep, couldn't he? Do you know what I mean? You know, yeah. I, if he if if you put him up against <laughs> any of the promoters today, you know, the older version of Warren, the 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 Eddie Hearns, you know, all these talkers, all these promoters. I still think he would come out on top in terms of, you know, being the mouthpiece for his fighters because he was a very good mouthpiece. He was just a bit too much of a shit talker at times. And obviously, he's got a murky past, uh, which is, you know, something that could even spout into a podcast episode at some point down the line. But he has got a very, very murky past. And for that and, and, and the way he sort of he handled Tyson throughout his career, I've always really had that sort of disdain against him. So, yeah, anyway, moving on. Let's not talk about that slimy yeah. motherfucker. Let's talk about this, what we're talking about today. We're talking about a fantastic fight. And we're moving on then in Ben's career. Two unanimous decisions in a row, defending his WBC title against Henry Wharton. Juan Carlos Jimenez beats them both, which then sets up this huge fight with Gerald McClellan. And he was the underdog. The biggest aspect of, of this fight going into it was the fact that Nigel Ben was written off by everybody. He was written off the way Buster Douglas was written off against Tyson. Nobody but nobody thought Nigel Ben was going to go in there and have any chance of beating this knockout artist, this guy with a high percentage ratio. I think it was something ridiculous, like between 85 and 90% knockout ratio on his record. It was, you know, it was unbelievable the sort of record he was carrying going into this particular fight. And for me, you know, if you look back on that fight at the time, it was all sort of swaying in the direction of a Gerald McClellan win in this particular fight. Let's go into the build-up now. Let's talk about the build-up yes. for the fight between Nigel Ben and Gerald McClellan. What a build-up as well. It was it was, it was highly anticipated, wasn't it? I mean, they, they built it again, the, the, the sudden impact. Um, not to touch on Don King again, but, you know, Don King, Frank Warren, they, they promoted the fight, you know, they're good buddies again. So, um, so um, it, it was interesting. I mean, obviously, two weeks prior, uh, from what I've read and seen, um, Jeremy McClendon came out to England. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it was two weeks in England. Um, and he he was having a bit of turbulent time, um, by the sounds of it. He's, it was in a bit of disarray from, from what we've heard from Emmanuel Stewart. Um, he, he pitted up at the Peacock Gym. If people don't know the Peacock Gym, a very established gym in England. Um, so he was there for a couple of weeks. Um, it was, you know, he, it went to the point where, you know, from what I'm hearing and reading, you know, he's strapping his own, his, his own, he's doing his own straps on his hands, and you know, it, it just, it was a bit of a mess and bit of a, you know, he was calling the shots as you mentioned earlier, Sean. It, it, he seemed to be the man that was telling them what to do. So, you know, at the end of the day, this guy was one of the best. I mean, people, if they didn't know, you know, 1995, 90. This was, you know, the, the pound for pound was around at the time. Um, you're talking probably the pound for pound number one was Roy Jones Jr. Saying that, Penel Whitaker was also on the scene. And then you had Gerald McLennan. Um, those were the best three pound for pound fighters in the world at that time. And uh, he was dubbed as the mini Mike Tyson by Don King. And everybody, and I mean everybody, expected McLennan to just blast Ben out in at least, what, a round to three rounds? He was on a 14 fight win streak, knocked out 10 of them uh, in the first round, 10 in the first round. I mean, in 14 fights, and not some of them were no mugs, you know, as we mentioned, they have been for his crew already. So it was his first fight at Super Middleweight as well. So this guy was no mug, and um, Ben basically jumped on it, and he's saying, look, 
I'm here. I, I'm going to fight this guy. I don't care what power he brings. I'm going to match it. And that's exactly what he did. And, and it was just, you know, it, it, had, it had an aura about it in terms of just the moment that Ben walked out. But, you know, we're going to fight in a minute. But just, it was just, I don't, I remember the fight itself. I don't remember anything about Gerald McLennan. I, as I said, I didn't know of the guy. It wasn't until the fight happened that my brother mentioned that, you know, look, bro, this guy, this is tough. So I was like, oh shit, so Ben's going to get beat. And he was like, no, no, no. So for me, I was like, oh, this is interesting now. I'm, you know, as, as a young lad, you know, 95, I was, I was in my teens. But um, it was just it was just great, the feeling and just that moment Ben coming out. So for me, it was really, I really got myself involved in the build-up. And, and, and it, oh, obviously it didn't disappoint. But I, I don't know about you, Sean, but this was just, uh, yeah, it just even just watching Ben doing the goosebumps now. You've never been past eight rounds. I will never go past eight rounds again. My fights won't go that long. I mean, the way I train and the way I punch uh, and the heart I got and the mind I have, my fights probably will never go past two or three rounds. Unlike a lot of fighters, though, Ben is never afraid to go in with anybody. He's been in with Iron Barkley, I and mean, that was a tremendous one-round fight that he won. Um, he may be a little bit tougher than some of the opponents you met. Well, believe it or not, Barkley was a hard puncher, but you know, you got to have speed and power to make a great punch. You know, Barkley punches were very hard. You know, you can see him coming. The punches that knock you out are the ones you don't see coming. So I have the speed and power. And you can't compare um, me now with the other fights I had before, because I was like killing myself to make weight. And then people said I don't have no stamina. I mean, if you lose 11 pounds the day before the fight, and you'd be exhausted too. So this is the first fight that I'm in the ring with all my strength. Uh, I'll be weighing like 175, my natural walk around weight, without losing any weight, and this is as strong as I ever be in a fight. You've got a tremendous left hook. Uh, you've got some tremendous range of punches. How long do you think this fight will go? Well, it depends on Ben. You know, if he, if he uh, sit there and challenge me, then it'll be over quick, but if he, take his time and try to outbox me and move a little bit, then it'd probably take me a little longer to catch up with him, but not too many rounds. What do you think of his punching, pal? Well, I mean, he has uh, about 85, 90% uh, knockout ratio. Um, he's punching pretty good. Uh, I never gave my opponent enough, enough credit. I never gave none of my opponents credit for being a big knockout artist, because mentally, if you go in the ring thinking, uh, this guy's a big puncher, this guy's a better boxer than me, mentally you beat, so, I look at all my opponents as sparring partners. What are your strengths, do you think? Boxing, punching, I can do it all. Are there any weaknesses there? No, just me. Yeah, he's, 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 you know, I've got to be honest. For people who have not watched this fight before, and this is the first time you're listening to it, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, whether it be UK, USA, Australia, wherever you've been listening to us from, you know, this is a fight that if you haven't seen it, that it is an absolutely back and forth, up and down. You know, any cliche saying you want to use for a fight, this is one of them fights to do it for because it pretty much had everything you wanted from from a fight. It was it was you know an amazing contest between the two men, and and, and obviously the build up to it was very important because you talked about you know the whole Manny Stewart situation, losing Manny Stewart, and then getting Stan Johnson, who let's be honest, you know nobody had a clue 
who this guy was. This guy would walk around with his sort of captain's cap on constantly, even when he was on the body bag and he had Gerald McClellan punching him. You know, he had he had the hat on, and there was one bit in some of the footage of uh, <laughs> McClellan actually sparring down at the the, the Peacock um, when he was on the body bag. You can see him knock his hat off, and at one point he actually cracked him that hard. He knocked his uh, he knocked Johnson's teeth out, and you know it was something Johnson went on to talk about in the documentary, which we'll talk about a little bit later down the line. But you know he was he was the guy calling the shots. He was the Mister Big Shot. You know he was very confident that he was going to go in there and do a number, and it came across in the interviews. You know there was one point in in the you know the most famous sort of interview I'd say McClellan conducted when he was being asked uh, about his chances and how asked how he was going to go in there and, and beat Nigel Ben. And then there was one point where the interviewer had said, you know, you're ranked number two pound for pound best in the world. And he's, he's, you know, response was, well, who's number one? So, you know, he, he was the guy that wanted to be number one. He's the one who's seen himself as number one. But I tell you what, Nigel Ben, very, very, you know, there was a lot of emotion from Nigel Ben in the lead up to this one because the British press in particular had given him no chance at all. Now, you know, it happens today. Our British press, unfortunately, for some reason, don't always want to get behind our fighters and, and usually find a way of kind of making it out like they're already lost before they've stepped between the ropes. And this was very much what it was like. And obviously, there wasn't as many regulations and, and rulings around in 1995 that didn't allow the press to... You know, or restrict the press to sort of say what they want and back then they could say what the hell they wanted and get away with it and that's kind of how it was and Nigel Ben was very venomous in what he was saying you could tell he was really agitated by the British press and the press completely writing him off in, in interviews leading up to this particular fight and he had he had a bee in his bonnet and a chip on his shoulder and you know he, he was I think he took that into the fight with him I think emotion wise he definitely took that into the fight with him and you talked about it earlier about how he was you know he was he was he was a limited fighter you know Let, let's be honest he was a limited fighter i loved nigel ben i love watching his fights but the reason i love watching his fights was because he literally neglected his jab he never free hardly ever threw a jab it was always <laughs> sort of hooks uh, and windmill punches it was just he'd come charging in you know ducking his head below below waist height and just sort of weaving in and just throwing hooks over the top and that's what people was excited about because you knew he could he could hurt people when he hit him but then you also knew he could be hurt himself as well and he'd proved that in the past so you know it was exciting to watch and he was being wrote off even though he was the WBC champion and this was his seventh defence as well and yet the British press and other press were going no, Daryl McClellan's going to knock you out he's got an 85 percentage knockout ratio on his record he's coming in there to do an number on you. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, you mentioned, uh, I mean, as I've already alluded to, with, with Ben's technique, I mean, he, even Kevin Sanders, who was his trainer at the time, said he couldn't jab great. His feet were all wrong. But what he did have was he had heart and he had determination. And that's the only thing you couldn't really, you could never fault with Ben. You couldn't. I mean, me and you have grown up watching Ben in, in some of these some of his biggest fights, and what, what was it about him? It was it was just the fact he was so unorthodox, and just you didn't know what to expect from him. But one thing you always knew is he's going to give it 110. percent I'm ready. I don't care whatever he wants to throw at me. I will match him. I'm very confident. I never usually predict a round, but I, like I said, between six and eight. And, and I think that's why people felt that you know 
all the experts from from the moment that you know if anyone when you do watch the fight you know is the ITV version where it goes straight to to, to Barry McGuigan and straight away literally within the first five minutes. They're writing him off. I'm going to, I can see his last two, three rounds. This is one of the most eagerly anticipated fights on both sides of the Atlantic for many, many years. It's going to be absolutely dynamite when it lasts. And Nigel Ben is a tremendous puncher, and he's always in there with a chance. But I went to see McLennan work out in the Peacock gym, and he just looks awesome. And no matter what we have taken this fight apart and dissect it and put it back together again, I only see one winner, and unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be Nigel Ben. He thrives on the occasion. He, he said no fear is written on his, on his hat, and he really thrives on a, a night like this where he's expected to lose. Loves to be the dark horse, and he, there's no doubt he's got a tremendous punch, and he's in there with a chance. This fight will be over in three rounds. And that was the pressure that Ben was under. And as you said, he went in with that on his back. And the crowd had an expectation that actually this guy is tough to still McLennan. And uh, if Ben wins, this is going to be unbelievable. And to have that 10,000 who was in the stadium at the time, literally all of them cheering on Ben. And that gave him a lift. You could, you could clearly see it. I mean, 10,000 English fans literally cheering him on. Um, and, and it helped. It was like the extra man, like on a football field, if you like. But absolutely, it was, you know, everyone wrote him off, as you clearly said. And, and it was just a matter of if he's going to have enough to survive. And, um, and, and rightly so. I mean, Joe McClendon, as you know, he was the pound probably number two. As you say, you know, he's like, who's number one? You could put Penel Whitaker or you could put uh, Jones Jr. in. So that's how highly regarded he was. Uh, and rightly so, he's knocking guys out for fun. But it really did give you uh, an anticipation. As I say, I mean, as a kid, I remember watching it and my brother giving me the old, well, I don't know if he's going to win this. And I remember feeling like, oh, wow, so this is going to be a good one. Then. And I remember feeling the anxiety. So, you know, as a, as a young fan at the time of Ben's uh, and just boxing, uh, you know, I, I couldn't wait. And I, and I was just anticipating it and they sold it to me <laughs> and I was as I said I don't know the answer but um, it was just great it was it, I could really feel the buzz for this fight and, and, and the fact that Ben was down straight away he was, he was the underdog yeah exactly and McClellan was quite interesting as I said earlier in the build up to this particular fight being interviewed in the build up for it he quoted a saying I get a greater buzz from a knockout than I do from sex getting the power on <laughs> watching an opponent fall there isn't and any other experience to compare with it. And this is this is the type of man that he was. Now, I think, I wasn't sure whether we should discuss the subject of it or not, but I think we should do, because I think people will want to discuss the situations outside of the ring as well. Now, that was a particular statement for him in the lead-up to this particular fight. But there were a lot of people at the time that had been hearing reports of, of what he was doing. Now, there was a lot of press photos where they were taken of him with his two pit bulls and how he talked about pit bulls and he had this sort of love for, for pit bull dogs because of how aggressive they are and he compared them to him as a fighter. And then there was obviously a lot of stories. You know, I can't sit here and say all them stories are true or not, but there's a lot of stories of him obviously being involved in dog fighting and you know one particular story that, that stands out in mind is the one where you know apparently you got a labrador taped its mouth up and let his dog basically just have a complete go at it and, and, and basically kill it and you know that was a horrid story to, to to talk about and it is one that was kind of confirmed 
by his sister Lisa years down the line when they did the documentary and obviously they was asked about this particular story and she you know she kind of sort of said it was maybe a little bit exaggerated the story but she isn't going to deny that parts of the story were true so you know this this is something that kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in people's mouths about it and even to this day as as you know as horrible as what happened to McClellan after the fight and, and obviously we'll touch on that in more detail later people still have the mixed opinions about him you know you've got to feel sorry for what happened to him you have to no matter what you know no matter what he'd done outside of the ring what he'd done in the ring you know was was an amazing achievement and then to, to you know to put his life on the line like he did and nearly lose his life uh, and have these life-changing injuries you can you've got to kind of understand that aspect of it but you know it kind of made, made people kind of not like him a little bit because of that and not just a little bit there was people that really hated the guy you know there was people that probably i hate to say this but probably wish this type of stuff upon him what happened to him because of of, of you know that the dog situation and i know it's something we've discussed you know off air but i think yeah. it's something that has to be touched mm-hmm. on i think we can't ignore the fact that this this did happen outside of the ring and this happened you know during the early 90s and this happened you know while he was you know a boxer and a fighter and i i, I don't agree with it i don't condone it i think it was disgusting but you know everybody everybody obviously makes mistakes and some people believe that what happened to mcclellan was was kind of i hate to say it but some people do say it was kind for him but again it's a very difficult subject for me to touch on because I don't want to feel like you know we're, we're, we're condoning what he actually did because I'm not but I do, I do feel like we have to touch on it because it was a widely reported story at the time oh, absolutely mate um, I'm not going to lie I'll mention to you off of air that, you know, that he wasn't one of my favourites outside the ring uh, the more I've read about him the more I've looked into him as a personality I didn't like him um, I'm not going to lie um, and, and the dog situation the dog fight you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an animal fan and I like dogs I like all animals um, so for me you know I'm not anyone that's involved in dog fighting I think that's just that's just wrong and I just I'm I'm just not going to lie for it um, definitely not the sort of thing I'm into um, and obviously the story that Stan Johnson came out with whether it was true or not maybe it was fabricated I mean the guy's a bit of a loony bin isn't he let's be honest um, he probably has made it out to be a lot worse than it was uh, makes him sound you know a lot worse than probably he was um, but albeit you know he obviously had a bit of a big head you know he he wanted to man-manage himself. He wanted a, a couple, of, a load of yes-men around him. So, you know, you can't not neglect the fact that people didn't like him. He was ruthless in the ring, just as ruthless as he was outside the ring. By the sounds of it, we don't know the guy. This is only what we're being told. So, I'm with you. Um, he was a nice fella. I wasn't his biggest fan from, you know, when I heard about it. And as you mentioned, you know, it maybe it is a karma thing. It's a horrible thing to say, really, because you, you wouldn't wish this upon anybody, even your worst enemy. So, you know, God, it's the last thing you would want. But, um, yeah, I don't think he was very much of a nice fellow outside of him, basically. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, there was, like I say, a lot of reports, a lot of speculation, a lot of theories. We'll never really know the yeah. truth about it. But I think it's, again, and I stress the point, we have to touch on it because it's part of our job as reporters. You know, we report on information that was given at the time. And, you know, this is something we can't not go throughout the episode and completely neglect these things actually taking place outside of the ring. So, yeah, we've touched on that point now. We've, we've, we've you know, we've dotted that off. Let's talk about 
the fight <laughs> itself. Let's let's cover the fight itself now, because as you alluded to a little bit earlier on in the conversation, you were talking about the atmosphere, uh, the new London Arena. The atmosphere there is, uh, is is as good as any atmosphere you'll have ever seen throughout history. And if you think it was loud watching it, and you go back and watch it after listening to this episode, and you you hear what the atmosphere was like, God knows what it was like inside the arena at the time. And I. I can't, I would love to have, have been there for that atmosphere alone, never mind the fight, because the atmosphere is, is sometimes what makes the, the events and the night so historic. And I think the atmosphere was obviously amazing for this because the you know Ben was the underdog, and although he was the underdog, everybody was in his corner. Everybody, he had like the 12, like you say in football, the 12th man, he had everybody behind him. When he came out and the chimes of Big Ben came up, on the sound system, even watching it back, even as 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 you know, as recent as today, recording the episode, it gives me these sort of goosebumps and goose pimples, and I'm like, wow, you know, that atmosphere, it just sends sort of shivers down your spine to, to sort of hear how much of a reaction Nigel Ben was getting going into the biggest fight of his life. I mean, I, I do have vague memories. I don't recall it completely um, of watching it live, but um, watching it back, my God, just hearing them chimes and then, and then like, the Big Ben chimes and then hearing those 10,300 spectators in the London Arena, which is, you know, the Isle of Dogs, which is my neck. It was, it's, you know, it's, it's Millwall, it's my, it's my football team. So hopefully we don't lose some, off, some viewers there, Sean, without me admitting that. But, um, you know, it was, it was, it, it, it just, it was just brilliant. Um, uh, just, it, it does sing goosebumps all around my body and, it, and, and just having those 10,000 fans cheering Ben all the way as well you know obviously we are from Britain you know we're going to cheer on our Britain boys you know you don't want to neglect the fact that Jeremy McLennan was, was a fantastic fighter and he was deadly in the ring but um, you know we're going to back our boys and, and, and we did that night and you know normally we, we talk about the Eubank fights we talk about the Watson fights with Ben but the one thing you do see with, 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 with all three of them fellas um you know, even Collins as well when he was around, that when they were up against the Americans or whoever, we were Mexicans, we backed them all the way. And we still do today, don't get me wrong. Uh, that had some sort of, that was just a, a, an electric atmosphere. Um, you know, it was almost like the hat and costume type of atmosphere, wasn't it? It was it was just outstanding. And just to watch, watch it back, is just it just brings back those memories. There's little sparks of memories and, and, and it's just it's set up nicely. As you say, as we've both mentioned, complete underdog as well, walking in that ring, expected to be blasted out in a couple of rounds. You can almost feel the anxiety in the air as you're watching it on television. So, um, 
it just it was just nice to set up for this fight. And let's talk about the first round. My word, what a <laughs> first round that was. Absolutely unbelievable start to the fight. Now, obviously, McClellan was going to come in there and try and continue his impressive run of first-round knockouts, and that is exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to make this an early night. He straight away went at Ben, throwing punches, calculated punches. Ben, obviously, he's trying to duck and weave and bob and weave and move around. He's trying to get out of the way of them. But within 35 seconds of the opening bell, he's got Ben trapped on the ropes. Ben's sort of ducking down, weaving, trying to get away. You know, McClellan's throwing the punches down to the back of his head. He's throwing the punches down to the side and the back of his head. And eventually, Ben takes that many punches. He sort of just sags back and falls through the ropes and onto the apron, nearly ending up on the commentator's table. You can see that, you know, the commentator's trying to kind of keep him <laughs> from falling onto the table. He's letting him... He's letting him punch, he's in trouble, he's, he's out down. the ring. Seconds into the fight, he's through the ropes. Nigel Ben is down. The count is six, he's seven, back eight. He's Can he make it back? He arena. gets in at nine. Oh, what an incredible start. McClellan wants to come right back at Ben. He says, get out of my way to the referee. A right hand by McClellan. Ben continues to be in dire trouble. Can he survive this first round? unbelievable start to the first round and you're thinking well everybody's right everybody in the press are right here he's going to get destroyed and he's, he's out on the ring apron within 35 seconds <laughs> it was just an immense start from Joe McLean and, and everybody as they mentioned you're thinking oh god they're all bang on here Ben's just going to literally fold over in the first 30 seconds of his fight um, I mean as their punches are coming in and it's sort of, they're, they're not quite connected and you're thinking oh maybe he's alright then there was one right hand that, that clearly he sort of just make, it makes him go a bit stiff as he falls through them ropes um, and obviously you know the, the French referee who didn't speak a word of English starts his can um, there are some discussions whether um Actually, he probably should have been counted out with those first 10 seconds. Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, the one on the documentary, uh, was it something Morris, I think, off the top of my head, uh, from the British Boxing Border Control. He was saying that if Ben actually come off of the canvas, actually went on the floor, he would actually be given 20 seconds to get back into the ring, ring which he didn't. Um, so the referee counts. And uh, I've watched this the other night, and from the moment that Ben's ass touches that canvas to the point he steps back into the ring, literally one foot into the ring, I count 10 seconds. Referee counted eight. So it wasn't quite, it's borderline. It was borderline. That fight could have been stopped there and then. But what a start to this fight it was. It could have been stopped there and then. It's quite a controversial moment. And as you talked about the, the, the documentary years later, which again, we'll touch on later, you know, that referee at the time said he had his own way uh, of counting. He had his certain way of doing it. Now, this is controversial because obviously this has come up quite recently with the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight, which happened when Tyson Fury went down like a sack of shit and, and obviously the referee started his count and he said he got to the count of eight and Tyson Fury started to get up and he was on his feet by nine. However, there were people theorising that he, he, as soon as his ass hit the floor, like you say with Nigel Ben, they'd counted it on, a, on, on like a timer, but it doesn't work like that. And we have to remind people that actually doesn't work. The referee is the one that makes the count. The timekeeper is there to tell the referee 
referee and to signal to the referee when the time starts. But it's the referee that ultimately makes the count. So he, yeah, if he did give him a slow count, he got to the count of eight, and you know he was he managed to get himself back in the ring. But the referee was very vocal about that in that documentary about how he did the count, and he even did the count on his fingers again whilst they're playing the video, sort of side by side or fading in and out of of the actual knockdown. But the British Boxing Board of Control, obviously Stewart in charge at the time, as you were saying, he would only get 20 seconds if he would have went off the canvas. Because he landed on the canvas, he was only going to get 10. So, yeah, it is controversial. And, and obviously, the you know the McClellan camp, Stan Johnson in particular, he, you know, he's like, nope, this is definitely, you know, it should have been fucking over in that first round. And that was that. <laughs> and it should have been over. And I think you could tell at that point, when you look over to McClellan in the corner, the neutral corner, McClellan thinks it's over. McClellan thinks, yeah, that's it. I'm done and dusted. He's sort of ready to celebrate. And then, obviously, you know, Ben manages to get himself back in and then continue to take a pummeling and what was again interesting about it is that that referee let that fight go on and some referees would have stopped that when you look back on it some referees would have stopped it on the second assault when when Ben is covering up trying to get his legs back under him and McClellan's coming in McClellan's coming in throwing every sort of shot he can he's trying to work the body he's trying to throw shots on the inside he tries to throw an uppercut on the inside and Ben's somehow managing to sort of grab on and spoil uh, but there was times where you think to yourself he's not throwing back here and actually I think another referee might have stopped that on another night a referee would have stopped that fight. And even even Kevin Sanders, who was in Ben's corner, you know, he, he openly turned around and said that they got away with one. Um, and, and he probably felt that if he was in the other corner, he would have been calling for that to be stopped. Because exactly as we mentioned, barely just borderline 10 seconds, if you want to call it over or not, we don't know. He stepped into that ring. As you say, referees can't, not a timer. So, you know, you know, it's never it's never a timer. So it's a referee's count. Sometimes it will be a little bit over, it might be a little bit under. But either way, um, just after that, McKinnon just pounded him. Um, ben didn't throw much back, and it could have been stopped there again. So they really did get away with one. He sucked it up, he survived well, he held on for dear life, and he managed to get to that second round. The second round, I think, was, was much of the same, to be honest with you. Apart from, Nigel Ben managed to get through with a few decent shots in that second round. I, I think McClellan was obviously still ruthless, though, and he was still really trying to put Nigel Ben away, but I think the biggest takeaway from the whole fight, and something that was talked about on numerous occasions, and something you spoke about already in the episode, is how much of a heart you know, Nigel Ben had. The guy was was able to keep himself in there. He was able to keep himself relevant in the fight. You know, he'd throw the odd sort of right hand through the middle, right hand over the top, and he'd catch McClellan. But let's be honest, McClellan, although he was a fantastic fighter himself, his defence really wasn't on point that night as well. No, it wasn't. I mean, he was looking to get rid of him early, and that was his. It was that was the tactic. That was that was what he employed for 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 a long. For, for a long time, for 14 of his fights, you know, 10 of them, he was just blasting them out in a round. So that was what he was looking to do. He had done it against some, you know, I suppose you could say better fighters in terms of, you know, was Julian Jackson just as good as a, as a Ben? You know, if possible, you think about it. I mean, we, we, we put Ben and Eubank, well, we put Ben, we're talking about Ben here, but we put Ben up in this pedestal because we enjoy it and we, we knew he'd always be brave. But in actual fact, you know, he was probably putting away fellas just as good as Ben. So all that was a different weight. You know, Ben had already been a mid- middleweight. He put an extra pound, so you know, I think I think his his, his idea was just going in and just blast him out. Um, but I, I do believe Ben, although again, it was pretty much the same way. Um, 
for me, his punch resistance was was a lot stronger in the second round, um, and he actually finished finished the round landing uh, a left hook to the body. He was mixing it up as well, uh, but he, he was under he was coming under a lot of lot of pressure from McClendon, obviously looking to get rid of him early. But um, but it was again, you know, that determination, that heart, that spirit, you just can't knock it. And although it was McClendon round again won a 10-8 round. So, in the end, he, he, he eventually, you know, he survived the second. Many many felt this was going to end in the second or the third. So, he's got this point now. You know, he's looking for the long haul and that was what Ben was thinking at the time. Yeah, certainly was. And I think that the next couple of rounds, third and fourth in particular, were where I started to see, you know, Ben had weathered the storm of the first two rounds and then he started to he started to get these shots through, these wild shots that I was talking about. The You know, the way he just sort of put his head down, weave underneath. And you got to remember, Gerald McClellan at the time, you know, he was a bigger guy in terms of his frame. He was a six-foot guy against a five-foot-nine guy. So he had the physical advantages to, to make that fight easier for him. But because of, the, like we say, the way he came in, the tactics he adopted for that fight, he left himself open on numerous occasions. And obviously, Ben would capitalise on that. You know, one of these sort of popping right hands over the top would get through and it'd stop McClellan in his track but then he would come back for more and he'd take punishment as well but then Ben would take punishment and it was it was a crazy crazy first sort of three or four rounds of the fight where you know you think it's all over in the first round after that knockdown through the ropes and to see Ben perform out of his skin you know probably Ben's best performance by far of his whole career this particular fight the way he was able to get over that that first couple of rounds and get himself through towards the midway point of the fight and then start to get through and start to sort of take control of the fight for me was was something to behold watching back on it again because you don't really think about it like in perspective of Nigel Ben we love him because of his all action style but like I said earlier he neglected the most basic weapon a fighter has in the ring which is he jab and he just I don't even remember actually seeing him throw a jab in the fight if I'm being honest he might have done but I don't actually remember seeing it because all I was sort of engrossed in was the fact that every time they came together you know it was a case of who's going to get the better of who and it, you know more so than often in the fight it ended up being Ben he ended up getting through so then third and fourth rounds were, were very much the, the sort of same trend that had been set in the first two but Nigel Ben had started to get through a little bit more and it was the fifth round for me which was the turning point the significant round of the fight let's just take a quick pause of the episode for just a moment to give a shout out for the sponsors it's Bear Attack Boxing providing you high quality boxing equipment products, gloves, wraps, pads, the lot go over and check them out at bearattackboxing.com UK on social media at Attack Boxing on Twitter and Bear Attack Boxing on Facebook and Instagram. And as part of being a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got a discount code in association with Bear Attack Boxing. For anybody that's looking to purchase any of the high quality equipment, you can get 10% off at the checkout by entering the code BTR10. That's BTR10. If you enter that code, you will get 10% off your high-quality boxing goods and equipment, and you will be able to go to the gym, saving a little bit of money, but getting that exercise in there, getting on that heavy bag, getting yourself on them pads. Go over and check them out, because they do genuinely 
give some great products on their website. One shout out is for Rob Hughes, recently purchased some of the Bear Attack boxing gloves and wraps and has spoke nothing but high of their equipment and of them as a company. So please go and check them out. Rob is a loyal listener to the podcast and he was really happy with the products. So happy that he was inclined to give us a message at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and let us know all about it. So if Rob's telling us the great, we're telling you the great great <laughs> so go over and check them out it's at attack boxing on twitter bear attack boxing on facebook and instagram and the website is www.bearattackboxing.co.uk yeah yeah absolutely i mean the first of uh it, it was a fast pace again for those for those rounds i mean watching back on it obviously in in hindsight is a wonderful thing isn't it because we now know what happened but that was that was the point when I, I did start to notice, you know, the, the slight evidence with with McClellan and and, and signs of distress was the he just had his mouth was just wide open. Now, I mean, obviously this is only the fourth round, so um, it, it's it's difficult to assess. You know, we we, we how, how can you sort of work out whether he's in any sort of crisis whatsoever? Um, it, it's difficult. I mean, he hadn't been this far. Since 1993, but it just it's just funny. And that fourth round is when I started to really notice that the math starting to open and obviously the struggle for oxygen. No one mentioned it. It's just, we now know what happened. So I was always looking for it. Probably not a good thing really, but yeah, moving into that fifth, fifth, I mean, it's pretty much the same as the fourth, um, but, um, you know, with with McLennan sort of landing the harder single shots, but Ben was tireless in his work, wasn't he? He was, one thing that he he did was he just doesn't stop coming. As you say, he never throws a jab. I don't think Ben... uh, in this whole fight for the jab, it's literally left hooks, right hooks, uppercuts. That's basically all with his head down and then just hoping that eventually he's going to catch him the one. Um, what, what, one thing I did notice well was McLennan, he switched, he switched his starts to southpaw to just trying to, trying to confuse Ben. Um, and literally, as he did, uh, Ben goes and lands a big left hook, bang on the button. So, and you can see McLennan's cheek was starting to swell towards the end of the round, um, and he was clearly feeling the pace that Ben was putting on him and the pressure he was putting him under. And again, as I mentioned in the fourth, the mouth opening, this is when the garm shield starts to hang halfway out the mouth as well. So, again, it's a signal where there's something not quite right with his breathing. You know, I don't want to go too much away from the fact that this is a good fight, but these are certain things we're going to notice. And, and that he's, he's, you know, they, they don't know him well enough. They're, they're the yes people, I suppose. And, you know, they didn't even notice these type of things. Saying that, neither did anybody in the commentary or in the corner, all the doctors that were there. But, yeah, a, a much a much better round, that fifth round. It's a good round. And, um, and Ben was showing signs that he's going to come back. Well, you talk about that point of the gum shield, and that was very significant watching back for me. That was the that was the first thing I noticed uh, watching back and know, obviously knowing what had happened to him and knowing the, the, the position he ended up in as a result of this fight. Watching back and seeing him start to sort of hang the gum shield out of his mouth, it was like he was either trying to get air or... He had some sort of pain that he weren't telling his corner about. It was like, you know, I'm sort of, mm. he, at times it looked like he was sort of biting down on it. He was sort of putting it half out of his mouth and biting down on the gum shield. And I noticed that, you know, in them early rounds, and I was thinking, did you know, how did nobody pick up on this? How did nobody actually pick up on the fact that that is not normal practice for a fighter in the middle of a fight? Do you know what I mean? That, that is not something you see anybody do. Uh, I've got to admit, Reg Gutteridge on the ITV commentary did talk talk about it on a couple of occasions throughout the sort of fifth and sixth rounds he was mentioning that his, his gum shield keeps coming out but no one really sort of no 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 there was nothing on that there was just the commentator pointing it out but you didn't 
didn't see anyone in his corner, you know, saying, well, why are you spitting your gum shield out? Why is your gum shield hanging out of your mouth? Well, what, what's going on? Are you okay? There was none of that at all. It was just a case of, is that the norm? And then it even made me, looking back on it, think to myself, actually, has he done this before in any of his other fights? And then I go back and look at the stuff. He never did it. He never did it. So that, for me, was the early warning signs that there was, there was, he was in a little bit of distress at this point. And what level of distress? We'll, we'll never know. We'll never know what level of distress he was on this point. But I think that, for me personally, looking back, that was the early signs that something wasn't going right. Something wasn't right. Whether it was the lack of oxygen or whether it was, you know, he took a lot of shots, even at this point of the fight, that he'd, he'd, he'd hurt. He was hurt somewhere. Uh, you know, and his head, he might have caught one of the shots that really had hurt him and he was it was like biting down on the gum shield essentially trying to like deal with the pain it's a way of managing the pain that could have been the case or it could have just been the oxygen thing I, I don't know but that's what you start to think about when you watch back on this fight you start to look at it and think how the hell did nobody in his corner look at it and go you know something's not quite right here no, I, absolutely I, I, I couldn't agree with you I mean I suppose it's easy for us because we know what happens but you're right I, mean, I didn't even think about that Sean that's a great that's uh, actually uh, a good point because he could have just been a broken jaw um, but you know there's, there's, there's obviously something not right and as you say you know he's, he's not like just a novice in a ten fight talk about a guy that's had like you know He's knocking on, what is it, his 20-odd 20-odd fights near on. Is it mid-20 fights? I, I haven't got it at hand, so I've just put the paper away. But, um, you know, he, he, he's, that, that just shows you, in terms of his corner, that they didn't even, they didn't notice it, you know. And, and as you as you rightly mentioned, the commentator, Reg Eatman, says, you know, that he hadn't noticed it before in other fights. And, and it's clear to see, you know, when you've watched those, those other preview videos of his other fights, he never did. Saying that, he didn't go to round five, apart from the Julian Jackson fight, but he, he didn't get put under pressure like Ben was putting him under. So, I don't know. It, it's difficult, because we look at it now, and we obviously now know what happens. You're going you're gonna to look at these things. Um, but, I mean, we, with the gunshot moving into round six, for instance, I mean, the gunshot is literally hanging out of his mouth. And then towards the end of that sixth round, Ben lands an almighty right hand, and that gunshot goes flying out of his mouth. He catches him with a massive right hand so again Ben's in his head he's thinking you know I've got him I needed to take him as far as I can and from that point I can take over this fight and that was the position he was heading towards and you know I mean even um, I don't know it was just it's just an odd one isn't it really I mean you, you would pick up I think if we're watching boxing now today and we see a guy that doesn't normally have his gum shield hanging out a doctor, doctor would probably just call him over and say let's have a quick look at him which they didn't do. So I suppose it's just, you know, this is the this type of fight that helped us progress to make boxing safe, I suppose. But yeah, that sixth round, I mean, that gumption goes flying out and, and then the seventh round again is another punishing round. It is, and I think this, from this point onwards, it's it's just sheer punishment, isn't it? Up until the end of the fight, you know, there's punishment from both sides. Obviously, McClellan's still well in the fight and, and, and sort of up on a couple of people's scorecards at this point. You know, the, the punditry teams are sort of saying he's just about ahead, Ben's just catching up, and, you know, this is where Ben's starting to sort of take over the fight, and, you know, Ben's starting to land the, 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 the cleaner shots. The work rate is, is phenomenal. Phenomenal. He, like I said earlier, he performed out of his skin in this fight. This was the best performance of Nigel Ben's career, hands down. This this beats the Eubank fights in terms of 
boxing out of his skin, out of his own ability, out of his own comfort zone. This was this was one of them fights that you know probably left a you know for various reasons it left a piece it left a piece of his soul in the ring. You know, people say that about fighters. You know, they left a piece of them in the ring, and I think that night for for obviously more than one reason he left a piece of himself in that ring because it was such a grueling fight for both men, and you know the seventh and eighth rounds again it's just it's all of the same. I can't sit here and do a play by play for you because you might as well have just watched the last few rounds because that is exactly how 7 and 8 go down and 7 and 8 go down exactly the same significant shots landed from both men and we get to a point where I can't remember if it was the 7th or the 8th but there was one point where McClellan catches Ben with an absolute peach of a shot and Ben just sags back into the ropes and and then he goes again and he goes to throw a, a left hook I mean correct me if I'm wrong on this I can't remember if it was the 7th or the 8th there's a point where he sags back it's the 8th so he sags back onto the ropes and he sort of gets him to the corner Ben's trying to fight his way out of the corner but as he's as he's doing that he's sort of he's ready to go you can see him ready to go and he throws this swinging left hook completely misses and and goes you know straight down sort of to his knees and and then that's when we get that standing count then so then that's when you start to think the tide's turning again and McClellan's turning the fight around Ben showing a stern chin misses with the wild left he's trying to end it on one punch McClellan with a hard right followed by a left Ben's in trouble he's staggered against the ropes McClellan now working the body and the head a relentless attack back comes Nigel Ben out of nowhere a right hand by McClellan and referee is close to stopping this Ben buckled over a right hand by McClellan less than 30 seconds of the round down goes Ben in horrible shape and there's too much time to go too much time to go here comes McClellan here comes the charge of the light brigade toe to toe in the center here's Ben again looking McClellan from somewhere Ben got up enough energy to throw two power punches and that saves him from being stopped here because at least he's here he's fighting yeah I mean that was it was it was a funny knockdown because he wasn't Blatantly, you know, he was he was in a bit of distress, Ben. Uh, that seventh, you know, in that eighth round, sorry, and uh, you know, he's caught him with that shot. There was a, there's a shot just before. I think it was a right hand where he did throw him back into that corner, and then uh, he unloaded on him. Um, he, he escaped momentarily, and obviously, as you say, he sort of leant forward. Then it? it was a weird one. He sort of leant forward, and when you watch it, sort of like without the replay, it doesn't even. Look, it looks like he just falls into the ropes. You sort of think, how's he counting him? Um, but in actual fact, it was it was a, it was a little right hand. He just caught as well on the top of the head, and and you know the referee rightly counted him, um, and he took the knee. And you're thinking, oh, this is it now. And I mean, I, I, I vaguely remember uh, the fight myself, and I remember thinking, ah, oh, this is it now. He's, he's, he's had it, and then, you know, <laughs> I didn't. I thought Ben's get, he's going to get done now. But again, he just showed that heart and that desire. And as you, as you've mentioned already, I mean, this is Ben's best performance. It, it, it's not doubt that this this is unreal from what what Ben was putting in uh, just the effort um, and and do you know what one thing I did notice which I didn't notice when I was watching the fight and I actually noticed it the other day is when when McLennan comes in to try and finish off Ben after taking that standing eight can Ben manages to throw this almighty right hand literally as McLennan's walking in and it literally rocks into his boots you can see it and they both sort of just fall in to a hold and it effectively just gives Ben enough time to recover. In actual fact, probably 
Bellin as well. But it was it was a tough round for, for Ben, and you're thinking it's all over. But if it weren't for that right hand from Ben, then um, and as you as you mentioned as well, like McLennan and Ben, neither of them are looking to, to defend at any point. If he'd have come with hands up and just got his distances right, he probably could have got rid of Ben, but he didn't. He lands this right hook, and it is just a, a great shot. And um, and it just bides him enough time to go into that ninth round. Well, the ninth round is where most people believe the the significant change in the fight happened, because uh, again, I'm not play by play in the round completely. But for me, the most significant part of the round is obviously the the accidental headbutt which happened during the round. So obviously, we both you know exchanging punches at this point. Ben sort of he sort of leans forward to go in for a shot, and then. Obviously, he ends up sort of stumbling forward rather than and, and, and then actually going in, probably pu- through sort of pure exhaustion and, and, and balance. And he, land, he lands straight into the, the, the sort of, I think it's the right-hand side of uh, McClellan's forehead and there's like a big clash yep. of heads. Again, a lunging left. No problem for McClellan. Overhand right to the back of McClellan's head against Ben. Again, Ben getting away with it. Rabbit punching. Oh, more talk. Being warned about that from the referee. He punched and then he slipped. Nigel oh, he, oh he, and he hit him in the eye. Nigel got hit in the eye. Look at that. Butted, butted on the way down. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. So McClellan will have time. The referee says, get up. He says, let's continue. McClellan went down to one knee. And now, here we go. But when you watch it in, in normal play, you know, at normal speed, it doesn't look like it, it It sort of hits him that hard. But then when they slow it down, it actually it's a full-on thump to the, from the top of Ben's head straight into the forehead of Gerald McClellan. And that's where a lot of people, uh, professionals, are arguably saying that this was the point that caused the trauma that ended up giving him the blood clot on his brain, which is what ended up making him suffer with all the long-term disabilities as a result. But significantly, once he got hit with that headboard, most notably and most striking about this was that he started to back off a little bit more in that ninth round. He was backing off and he was blinking a lot and he was blinking a hell of a lot. Now, this is something where people were saying, you know, there's something not right here. There's something not right. I mean, even, again, commentators on both Showtime and both ITV mm. who were covering the fight mentioned that he was blinking a lot. Now, people say, you know, when you're getting hit and you're getting hurt uh, and you're in a fight, yeah, you, you, you're blinking a lot. No, not as much as that. Not as much as that. I mean, history prior to this fight will tell you that because you've seen the 15-round grueling fights, like the Thriller in Manila, like the Rumble in the Jungle. You know, you never seen any of these guys, Ali, Foreman, Frazier's, blinking. So you knew for a fact there was something not right here. And again, as we were talking about earlier, about the corner, about what they should have been noticing, how, for me, did they not notice there was a significant change? Especially coming back to the corner and he's pulling his facial expressions, which are, you know, like wincing in pain. And hindsight is, is you know, they say it's a wonderful thing, but it's also a horrible thing to look back on because this was really hard to watch, if I'm being totally honest, regardless of what people may have thought about him uh, with their interpretations of what this guy was like outside of the ring to watch that back again and to see the way he was clearly clearly affected and in pain was was hard to watch for me because at the end of the day these guys go 
going there to, to, to you know, they fight for their lives, they entertain, they fight to, to make a better living for themselves. And, you know, this this was hard to watch for me. You know, knowing what had happened afterwards was, was made it more difficult, I think, because you're thinking to yourself, why are the corner just not noticing this? Why are they not pulling him out? How can they not know? He's clearly in pain at this point. But yeah, Johnston, that for me, that ninth round was obviously, you know, the beginning of the end, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, uh, as you say, I mean, it was a unintentional headbutt from from Ben, which didn't look, again, you know, it was only on the action replays that we actually could see that he actually does catch him. But, you know, he's blinking ferociously, isn't he, McKellen? And um, he takes that knee. Uh, the crowd boo, um, and Azara actually waves him on and tells him, you know, get to your feet, get back in the action type of thing. So, but in, you know, from that point, it goes back to the corner. Um, and, you know, I mean, even Emmanuel Stewart, um, he's still, you know, he, he weren't too keen on participating in his interview and speaking about his fight, but um, he actually said that, you know, he felt that this tragedy wouldn't have happened if he was in the corner. I mean, again, you know, in hindsight, you know, it, it, it was easy for him to say, um, that, but there was no doubt that he needed that experience in the corner because when he did go back to that corner in round nine, Obviously, we all know know what happened, but you know, Stan Johnson. I, I think he's just shouting at him, saying, to him, "You've got the fight." And, you know, in his head, he's just he's got no, no, abs- just he, he doesn't even think about his health. He, he, I, I, he, there is nothing there. There's, there's nothing. I'm not blaming Stan Johnson. I mean, that's that's the question inevitably, isn't it? Is, who are you blaming? Are we, we going to blame his corner? Are we going to blame the referee for picking up on it? We're going to blame the fact that the doctor didn't pick up on the fact that he's blinking. As you, you clearly said yourself, as you watch this fight, it's, it's almost hard to watch because, you know, even when watching these fights, even in the past, you don't see that. It's just, it's, if a fighter does something that is completely uncharacteristic to what you've seen in previous fights, you're going to have to have a look at it. And if you know your man well enough, and this is where it stems from the fact that how important it is to have your a decent corner and somebody that understands you as a fighter as well as a person, they're the ones that can straight away spot anything that's not quite right. And clearly there wasn't something right um, and they should have picked up on it and they didn't. Um, so, you know, it, you know, again, in hindsight, it's easy for us to say. But I mean, I mean, moving into the last one, when he eventually comes out, he actually comes out, he's, he's jabbing, he's working well behind the, the jab, McClellan. So he's almost got his marbles about him in a way, because he's actually fighting quite clever from the start of that round. Uh, but then he started touching his eyes, you're sort of thinking, he almost started touching his eyes if just all luck is a bleed. And obviously there's no blood. Um, so obviously, I mean, I think we've, I've heard before someone mention like a, a washing machine thing in the air around his brain. Um, so obviously those were the times. What, what, what he was going through in that tenth round, um, Ben obviously lands some right hooks again, which he was throwing all night. Uh, and McLennan takes a knee, gets back on, a, gets back onto his feet on the sixth count, and then um, they sort of uh, come in close. I think he's trying to hold on to Ben, and then Ben lands a couple of uppercuts, and then eventually he goes out and takes his knee, and, uh, and the referee counts him out. Round number ten for the WBC Super Middleweight Championship. Just an incredible night. Nigel Ben hoping. And he got a second win between rounds. A left hand by McClellan. McClellan now with a burst of energy dancing around. Flicking the left. The only way he can lose this, well, he can lose it many ways, but one of the ways is to get very cautious and not fight 10, 11, and 12. That's three rounds. You can't give it away. You've got to fight. A very confident Gerald McClellan. Ben just looking to hang on. He shouldn't get that confident. He should not get confident. Right hand by Ben, just as you say that. And McClellan goes down to one knee. 
open. Now that is the strangest knockdown I've seen. It came out of nowhere. Everybody on their feet, 11,000 strong. Just Exhorting Ben. That's what we're talking about, what he can't afford to do. He goes down again. What's hurting him? Something is hurting him. He's not going to get up. It doesn't look like. It's over! Nigel Benn has won! I can't believe that. I've never seen a guy quit in the corner like that. What was that? I can't believe that. Just when we said he can't afford to get confident, he did. One of the most things happened. bizarre endings to a fight. In one of the most compelling fight nights you'll ever see. Yeah, and I think the biggest controversy about the ending to the fight was I think both commentators for for the USA for Showtime and obviously Reg Gutteridge and Jim Watt, Jim Watt in particular, you know, were talking about him quitting. And that was that was something that would come back to haunt them a lot, obviously as as the years would go by, you know, they'd sort of being called out on on these comments that they made at the time. Now, I'll I'll be honest, you know, listening back to the commentary at the time, they were not to know what condition he was in and that he had a bleed on the brain they didn't know that they might have had an indication he was hurt because of that headbutt had 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 an effect on him they must have kind of known that being you know in the industry and knowing the sport themselves they must have had some sort of inclination he was hurt but I don't think they would have known what was to come after that. So the fact that they said he quit was kind of how they felt at the time. They felt, you know, he didn't have the heart. They felt he didn't have the same desire as Ben had shown in the fight. And I can understand why both Showtime commentators and the British commentators mentioned the fact that it looks like he'd quit the fight. I understand that now, looking back on it. At the time, obviously, it's a completely different story because at the time, you're in the emotion of the moment, the adrenaline's pumping, and it looks like McClellan's just had enough, and he's, you know, he's that's it, he's calling it a day, but clearly, clearly the man was in a lot of pain, there was something very wrong going on within his, in his skull and his brain, and nobody knew it, nobody knew it at all, so it's, it's quite a sad sort of state of affairs at this point, because as you say, Ben has won, you know, he's loving it, he's running around the ring, he doesn't know what's going on, obviously, with, uh, with McClellan at the time because obviously this was a big big thing for him this was a massive win for him nobody said he was going to do it nobody thought he was going to do it and you know it was pure adrenaline and emotion from Nigel Ben at this point but then obviously we start to see the the effects of what was happening to McClellan in the other corner he goes from sort of being you know walked over to the corner and then you get back to him on camera and he sort of sat in the corner on the floor, sort of slumped. And then the next time they come back to him, he's laying on the floor. And then, you know, this is where everybody knows evidently there's, there's something not quite right going on here. I think looking back on things now and, and obviously the safety of what we have in this day and age, the biggest sort of gripe and the biggest frustration for me looking at the fight, and I know it's all past and I know it's all history, but when you look at the fight at the time and you look at the aftermath of it, you look at it and you think, why the fuck are this many people people in the ring when this guy is on the floor clearly needing medical attention urgently and yet there's still too many people in that ring and obviously that this is like you said earlier you said this kind of it paved the way for for obviously what was going to happen in the future in terms of better regulations 
better health and safety aspects of fights. Unfortunately, this was was one of them fights that sort of set a precedent where they knew they needed to make things better as a result of this. But when watching it back again, I felt really frustrated watching it because I felt like, you know, what's going on here? Why are they letting this many people still stay in the ring when there's clearly you know, three or four doctors there trying to attend to McClellan, who's now on the floor lying down unconscious. It was it was hard. It was. It was really hard to watch because, you know, you feel really frustrated. You feel like you just wanna wanna go and jump into the screen and say, just get the fuck out of the ring. This guy needs help. And that's how it made me feel again. The impact of, of the aftermath of this fight is still, you know, I can't imagine how it affected the McClellan family. I really can't. But even just watching it back now, you know, in 2019 for me it still really really hits home it really does oh it does doesn't it it is it's it's really hard to watch um you know although it was you know we're always going to allude to you know this is kind of a legendary night because because people voted for it because they thought it was a good fight i think you know it was it was it had everything really i mean it literally had everything to fight um and and you know I think in uh, in terms of what happened with Eubank Watson um, I think I think mistakes were rectified um, following that fight their rematch um, but obviously there was still clearly a lot to learn um, I mean the medical team for instance they had four doctors and um, three of which were trained for resuscitation they had two sets of paramedics they had two ambulances on hand on the site um, to, uh, so basically you know. Everybody was, in terms of, uh, you know, a health situation, you know, there wasn't even, I don't think there was even an ambulance in, in the Eubank-Motson fight, which is crazy, isn't it? You think about it now. But, um, so there was a lot done by Frank Warren to make sure that these fighters were safe in a way. Um, but I think for me, I think, I think as you said, the fact that it's just all these people in the ring, cleaning on the floor, unconsciously, clearly needs oxygen, got all these people around him, you know, one thing you're told, you need to give this, you've got to give them air. Um, I suppose the first thing is as well is that, you know, fighters, they, they will celebrate once they've won a fight, but then they will all make sort of, after a little while, a corner or someone will give them a nudge and say to them, all right, you don't need to celebrate, just go over and touch gloves with him, you know, make sure he's all right and just say, you know, good fight and then you go and celebrate again type of thing um, and the other thing was was the post-fight interviews you know we got they had the guy in the ring he's still on the floor you know and they're showing you the post-fight interview they're, they're literally on Ben straight away having a chat of him talking to him about the fight which is something that you wouldn't see again today you know today they wait and then they will decide whether um, you know then they will decide actually he's okay and then they'll ask the corner and then someone will come in and do the interview that takes a little bit longer. Is then back in the day they were literally just on you. And I suppose again the other thing is the commentators are a little bit less hasty to use that word quit. So for one, I think I think they'll wait for a fighter to be in a stable condition and then maybe give it sort of fifteen twenty minutes. Um, and then and then when they sort of mention their post fight, they discuss the fight. That's when they might mention what what they actually believe. So. You know, there were aspects to change. And I think, as you say, it was, it was weird. I mean, you're talking, it's only 24 years ago. It doesn't, it's not long ago. I mean, we remember it clearly. So it's funny, isn't it? How there was still so much that went on that night that sort of makes you cringe. But um, again, you know, these are things that have helped us in, in the progression. doesn't help them clean and family. You know, they're still going for it today. But um, yeah, it, it really was frustrating to watch. Really. So, one person I want to say hello to back in America. It's Roy Jones. He's a top boy. If I'm going to class myself as the best super middleweight in the world, I've got to be Roy Jones. And Roy Jones, I'm very happy for you beating the mouth, James Tony. What, what do you think happened when he quit in, in such a, a, a apparently not hurt kind of a situation? He what was, was that? He was hurt. He sustained a lot of punching power to the head. He's did did the, the butt do anything to him? Did no, your no, butt no, hit? No, 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 no. 
Come on, come on, we're in the middle of something. No, 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 no. You, lot, you predicting what we know, so this is my time now. Okay. My time. And the thing about it, you know, it wouldn't actually do with a headbutt. He just couldn't sustain the pressure. All them two rounds and all that don't mean nothing. Because when you go in the later round, that's when you find well, out. But were you sure. shocked to see him go down on a knee yeah. and stay there? I'm glad I was going to finish him there and then. But you thought, what's he going down I for? Thought, no, no, I didn't think he was going down. He sustained a lot of punching power all through the rounds. But, Nigel, there wasn't one clear shot to put him down. I mean, the, the TV shows you missed twice and the guy yeah, goes yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so what? He put me down twice. But that's when it proved that, you know, I've got a heart. And you have. Writing, well, me, writing me off. Don, right now, now there's Don a guy laying on a stretcher over right, there. Right, don't keep me let, 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 let me, right. look, Nigel, don't leave. Don't leave a minute. Okay. Right, the guy's laying on a stretcher over there. If it was ruled for a foul, then this the whole thing's up in the air. You don't know who the champion is. No, I don't think so. I think that uh, I don't know what the ruling is going to be, but all I can say is that Nigel Ben proved to the world today he got a lot of hearts, a lot of Keonis. He fought his behind off. He was outside the ring, got back in, got knocked down twice. He rose to the occasion, got to give him his just due. Well, you deserve to have the last he laugh, so I'm giving you the last laugh. Tell it. <laughs> Tell it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Freddie. I think it's one person I, I think I need to fight to class myself as the best in the world is Roy Jones. I know Roy Jones. It's different class, but to me, to cause myself the best in the world, I think I would have to fight Roy Jones. But at the moment... Let's unify, let's unify another WBA title, and then okay. you've got two and Roy has one. Okay. And then we go for Roy. Just like I... Oh, let's touch on the aftermath then, Johnson. You've uh, obviously alluded to yeah. the, the facts just a little bit, but the aftermath of it, for me, the whole fight is is more significant than, than any other fight we've covered for Legendary Nights, really, because of obviously how it affected McClellan and his family, as you was touching on there. Obviously, this was, you know, life-changing for the McClellan family, for McClellan himself. It was... It, it was hard. It was hard for them, you know. As as a result of, of of this now, as a result of these injuries that he suffered, you know, he ended up suffering a massive blood clot to the brain, and he had to go uh, undergo a, a three hour, uh, three and a half hour emergency procedure to remove the clot. The surgery saved his life, but he was in the coma for two months, and he ended up blind, hearing impaired brain damaged and unable to walk his short term memory severely limited uh, and his long term memory selective so it, you know it had done complete damage to him you know he was very very lucky to, to, to make it out of this alive and, and to some capacity and you know it was really really sad to see what had happened to him and you know what, what was good to see was some fighters and in particular someone who was touted to be a rival Roy Jones Jr actually did a lot of charity fundraisers for him in the aftermath of this over the years and he was probably one of the ones that mainly did something for him obviously we're going to come on to Nigel Ben now and, and, and obviously that aftermath this affected him massively he was never the same after this you know he was in the sport for another two years had fights with Collins lost to Collins and you know that really sort of was the the sort of the, the, the you know the the aftermath of his career really and and but for me it's it's the stuff that happened afterwards with McClellan which has made uh, a huge impact on on the sport and a huge impact on on his life and you know it was it was really really sad and and they did the documentary didn't the ITV and they they basically got the footage of them coming together for the first time in twelve years and the way they put the the documentary together uh, it's called the fight of their lives for any 
anyone that wants to watch it is on YouTube. You can catch it on there. So if anybody that listens to the episode has not watched his documentary before, go and watch the fight first. Watch the build-up, watch the fight, then watch this documentary. And I can guarantee by the end of the documentary, you know, if you're not sort of welling up or, or even crying by the end of it, then you're not human. You've got no emotion because I watched that documentary. <laughs> I watched this documentary about recently, and I know you did. And there were points of the documentary that I found really difficult to watch and and really hit home. And and to see how emotional the reunion between Nigel Ben and Gerald McClellan was 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 really hard. I felt like even though this event, the meeting again for the first time, happened in 2007, you know it felt really hard for me to watch. And I'm just thinking, oh, fucking hell, I can see. How, how hard this really did hit Nigel Benn as well on the aftermath of it and you hear the story of Nigel Benn throughout his career and the, 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 the life of the drugs and the life of you know depression and, and the fact that he attempted suicide at one point in his life and then he became a born again Christian and changed his life and turned it around and you know, you look, you look at Lisa McClellan and some of the stuff she was talking about. She's talking about wanting Ben dead, like a lot of people were saying. Mm-hmm. There was a particular article that came out in one of the newspapers saying, you know, we want Ben dead kind of thing. And I thought, well, that was whoa, that was hard. And I can't imagine how Nigel must have felt knowing that people were saying this in the press. And, you know, you, you just can't even bear to imagine how it affected him. And, it, you know, it did. It did. Like I said, he, he wasn't the same again after that. And it, it was hard. I, I don't know about you i don't know how you felt i know you've watched it back a couple of times uh, in preparation for this episode but for me personally i really really struggled to, to sort of kind of keep it together to be honest with you and these are events that have long since passed and you know i, I honestly i felt I, I felt really sort of emotional watching it because i felt like this 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 happens to to people and and what happens to them people afterwards they just get left behind and never spoken about again or you know never get the support they need or they end up like in really bad times and it for me it was sort of hard to to watch because i know the mcclellan family you know still to this day still struggle because gerald mcclellan still needs this care that costs about 70 grand a year yeah yeah exactly um and and it was tough i mean i think i think um ben walked away with uh i think it was seven hundred and fifty thousand. i think and uh, mcclellan got but apparently uh what Warren and and Don King have said is that they've sort of they give extra money on top, which which probably accumulated to about half a million that went to the McClellan family for hospital bills, etc. Um, I mean, this is just what we're being told. Who knows? Um, I mean, it was just it was very tragic what happened. Uh, the whole I think I think coming from from Lisa McClellan as well. I think for, from her perspective, I think the press didn't make it. Easy because obviously Ben also went to hospital and got himself checked over, and I think he come out and I think I think he said something along the lines of uh, you know it wasn't me or something like that. It didn't come across very well. Now we we know you know back then things could be edited very easily. I'm not saying he didn't say what he said to up you know it was almost it was very sort of he brushed it off you know like you know it was just a fight and he's in hospital I'm not type of thing and and it didn't come across well it didn't come across well, well at all and obviously. The, you know, the news were reporting on it. You know, you got to remember as well, this is 95 as well. It's not, it's 24 years ago. It's not that long ago. I mean, I don't, for me, it seems quite recent. I remember you were 96 like the other day. So for me, it's, it's not that long ago. Um, and, you know, people were, were screaming out to abolish boxing. You know, this is, this is, this is the situation that boxing was in. It was already under, uh, 
under difficult pressures with, uh, you know, back in the 60s. And then you had, you had Davy Moore's death as well in a featherweight title fight against uh, Sugar Ramos. Um, so, you know, this was live on television. Um, and, it, and, it, and even then, the hate campaign started with The Sun. And I, I can't stand that newspaper. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that can't either. But, you know, you've got McClellan in hospital hanging between life and death situation. And you get The Sun, who has a chat with, with Ben, you know, and they... They jump on the old Ben Eubank and started Ben World War Four by targeting it, you know, by making it because obviously, you know, he, he was he was in the army in his early days, you know, before he become a boxer or as he started out as a boxer. So it was just it was just bad taste. The whole thing really badly done. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong, we watch it back now and we everybody can see it, and you're like, oh god. And even Ben will turn around and say, you know, there's things he said. And then thankfully, years later, they did meet up and they. And they um, they done the uh, uh, I can't think what it was now. It was like a some sort of charity event, and they raised like half a million pounds for, for, for McClellan or whatever it was. Or I'm probably getting that figure out nowhere. But um, it was nice to see him and Lisa sort of um, build a bridge and 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 come to an understanding because it was a tough night. And obviously Stan Johnson as well. If anyway, go and watch this. What Sean just mentioned, the documentary because Stan Johnson's the absolute fruit loop. You believe what you want out of. What he says, um, I think he's an absolute moron, um, me personally, and I think he makes things out to be a lot worse than they are. But um, it was just a great fight in terms of just the fight, but what happened after was tragic. And uh, it was literally from ecstasy, God, I can't get my word out now, I'm getting, it's getting late, and agony. And that is basically what it was. It was, a, in a nutshell, this was Ben's career, this fight. Great fight, but terrible, terrible ending. Yeah, and that that does sum up the fight. And yeah, just touching on the Stan Johnson comments that you made there. Yeah, guy is a, the guy's a fruit loop. The guy is an absolute <laughs> tool. Every every name under the sun you want to call this guy, he's definitely in the same category as Don King as being deluded as fuck. And yeah, if you watch the documentary, the fight of their lives, you will see some of the shit that this guy comes out with. Even to this day, you know this guy still points the finger at anyone other than his damn self, and that is that. That's another part of it that I felt, you know, frustrated watching again. Even though this documentary was made in 2007 and came out in 2011, watching some of the stuff, the comments that he made, you're just thinking to yourself, how can you, how can you sleep at night? How can you live with yourself? You could have possibly prevented this from happening, and yet you still sit there and try to point the finger at the referee and try to point the finger at Ben being on steroids and all sorts of of other oh, shit gosh, that he came out with in. Yeah, honestly, the guys are fruit loop. But just sort of wrapping it up, then Johnson, as you were saying, uh, ecstasy and then agony, and in, in, you know, does sum the fight up and the aftermath in a nutshell, really. And you know, I, I hope that the difficult subjects that we've had to cover off in the episode, and uh, I hope we've kind of given our uh, objective opinions on them. And I hope we, you know, I, I do genuinely hope no one has taken offence to anything we've actually said because I've, I've wanted to cover this off in. As, as best way as possible and it's so difficult because it's such a sensitive subject and obviously since this fight has happened people have gone on to to pass away as a result of injuries sustained in fights it's happened recently in the uk scott westgarth just over 12 months ago lost his life after a fight and then we had two fighters quite recently who lost their lives as a result of, of injuries sustained from a fight so you know even though the sport is uh, 10 times safer than what it was back in 1995 these incidents can still happen sometimes they cannot be detected these injuries 
but this was one fight where, looking back on it, as I've said many a times in the episode, I think it was something that could have been prevented, and unfortunately for the McClellan family, it wasn't, and, and they've got to live with that, and I think, you know, what looking at the interviews and listening to, to Lisa McClellan in particular, I think they've kind of resided themselves to the fact that, you know, this is life, and this is what they've got to deal with, and, and obviously they're giving Gerald the best life that they can possibly give him, and I wanted to wrap it up as well by sort of saying, if anybody out there, you know, wants to sort of donate anything to the Gerald McClellan Trust you can do, you can go onto the website geraldmcclellan.com and there is an address you can actually send donations to and you know if anybody's got that spare couple of quid knocking about you know and, and, and I know there's thousands of listeners that listen to our podcast you know if a couple of quid and you can send it to them you know it'll just help go towards uh, you know funds for medical fees for him because you know in America as, as the American listeners will know they don't have a national health service, they don't have a health service which provides free healthcare for people they have to have insurance to pay for their healthcare you know like we would if we're putting insurance on our houses for contents or something you know they have to have insurance for medical things so you know his costs are like 70 grand a year or something like that and that's a hell of a lot of money so I don't even know where they source that money from I think obviously they get donations from from probably local local sort of funding fundraisers and probably ex-fighters or fighters may may still be doing bits here and there i don't know but you know if anybody you know listening from the uk the usa wherever you want to donate anything to the guy's medical costs then you know you i think you should do and and you know personally personally it's something i'm going to do regardless of you know some of the stories that we've spoke about in this episode about the the dog fighting and things like that. I, I i take that aside i'm sure if the guy was you know fully sound of mind in today's world i'm pretty sure he probably would regret anything that he's maybe done and you know probably we can gotta at least give the guy a little bit of forgiveness for that and I think that's that's the way you should kind of try to move on in life and you know if anybody can go out there and do a bit of donating to him you know please do anybody that lives you know in the Freeport area that might pick this up and listen to this episode you know anything you can do to help the guy in his medical costs and you should do it because at the end of the day the guy was a former world champion uh, middleweight he, he, he pushed the boundaries and went to super middleweight and tried to to go for that greatness and unfortunately didn't come out on top and you know it's sad what happens to some fighters sometimes they don't you know some t- i heard a story yesterday that you know kirkland lang who uh, who fought roberto duran and beat roberto duran in the 80s you know he is living homeless apparently you know I've, that, that's a rumor going around i don't know if it's true or not but yeah. some fi- some fighters don't make it out of the other side of this no they don't um it, it is a really tragic turn of events as you mentioned you know the trouble he had and what he was involved in outside, we may not disagree with, but at the end of the day, you know, put that to the side, it's the family, isn't it? You, know, you can't, you know, for, for what the family are doing for him, I mean, they ain't, they, you know, they're not, they don't make his decisions. He he was only a 20, was he 25, 26, you know, in his mid-20s, wasn't he? He was a young lad. He wasn't even, you know, he, he would look back, as you say, today, no, he'd be near on what four nine fifty, the fella. So if not a bit older, so you know he, he still is obviously still a today. But I mean, if he had all of his faculties, um, I think he probably would be a little bit. Now, even Ben, again, I mean, he was a no angel. Jesus, he he done some terrible things, and obviously, as you mentioned too, you know, he he actually tried to commit suicide, which is crazy. I don't even know that actually. I, I did actually watch that documentary and I forgot about that, which is terrible, really. But um, these guys go through some horrible stuff in their lives, you know. Uh, 
And they do go in the ring to perform, and sometimes they don't come out as they went in, um, whether that be in a box or in the situation that people like Watson and McLennan are in. I mean, it's, it's tragic. It really is terrible. But, um, you know, it, 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 on the other side, I mean, McLennan, you can't forget how much of a great fighter he was and Ben. McLennan, I mean, people still say to that Roy Jones Jr., when that when McLennan turned pro, he was like, I ain't going near this kid. So, you know, this is just to prove that if, if he was if he was around for the next five years, who knows what he could have gone and achieved because he could have, it could have been one of the best because he was that good, he was that strong and that powerful. Um, but a great fight and just, just awful how it all ended. But, um, uh, you know, great to cover, Sean. I mean, as you as you rightly said, sometimes these fighters it just it just doesn't end up the way we expect it to. Um, especially when all of our sort of millions and thousands are watching on TVs or going to these events, you just assume that they're going to work come out all rosy in the other other end. But it doesn't quite work out like that sometimes. And, and this is a fight where it didn't. Um, so yeah, go and go and just give some money to the fund. I mean, that that would be a great help, uh, and I think um, deserved for the family. Yeah, 100%. I can't echo that enough for people that I've got the opportunity to do it. Go and do it, because I'm sure the McClellan family would really appreciate it. And we've got to remember, obviously, all the good things that he achieved in the sport uh, and obviously what he was trying to go on to achieve in the sport as well and the horrible aftermath and the life-changing injuries that it left him with as a result of, of partaking in the sport. So I think that about wraps up this episode of Legendary Nights and as always if you have enjoyed this episode please let us know by telling us on social media on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and on Facebook a BTR Boxing Podcast let us know what you think of the episode let us know what you think of the subjects did you enjoy it did you struggle to listen to it was there anything you felt like maybe we got a little bit wrong please let us know we, we're open to feedback we're open to hearing what your thoughts are on this particular episode and in the same sense if you felt it was a fantastic episode and we really covered this off and did it justice please also let us know as well if you have been rating and reviewing we really really appreciate it i've noticed a few more reviews coming in and i've noticed that we've got reviews coming in from the usa apple podcast store now so we really appreciate the guys that have been going on and rating and reviewing us separately on there if you are a usa listener go on there and rate and review us because we really really appreciate it it really helps us get more exposure for the podcast and all the hours of work we put into it and if you're not on apple Podcasts, please go and check us out on podbean or stitcher spreaker player fm spotify Castbox, even youtube eat sleep boxing repeat you can find the podcast episodes on there as well so this is it this has been the tale of nigel ben versus gerald mcclellan it was one of the greatest fights one of the most fights that give you the most ecstasy and most agonizing moments at the same time johnston it's been a pleasure thank you and listeners we'll see you next time and right now thomas hurts is an open book for ray leonard backs up against the ropes this is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport the first loss a tremendous victory Podcast Network.
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.